Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. It's all about connection. It's about human connection and the restoration that comes through that. That's what these gospel story is about today. These gospel stories, I should say, because there are two stories. The story of Jairus, the, the religious leader, and his daughter who's about to die, and the woman who has the hemorrhage. And they're spliced together. They're, they're like, well, scholars actually call this method in Mark, because Mark does this all the time. Starts one story, interrupts it with a second story, finishes it after that, so that the middle story can illumine the other one. They can speak together. Some scholars call it a Markin sandwich. You know, piece of bread, put in that piece, piece of another story. Kind of like, you know, if you're of a certain age, the Beatles song, A Day in the Life, right? You know, start one song, ah, we got another piece of song. Yeah, anyway, okay. White hairs understand that. <laughs> and it's a story of people in need. It's a story of people who are being called unclean, people who are being separated through death, through hemorrhages, religiously unclean. Death and hemorrhage meant you couldn't be touched by anybody because they would become unclean, and you are separated from the community and cut off. It's uncleanliness, it's separation from community, oneself. And Jesus has a clear posture in both situations. Now, before we jump in, I want to do a Todd sandwich here a moment, because we're here in the gospel story, and I want to insert something that really is about the gospel, but it's, it's a little bit of a different avenue, and then come back to the woman who has the hemorrhage. As this is the Sunday before July 4, one of the things we wrestle with in this country is the separation of church and state, and it's a good wrestling. And if ever you ever hear any kind of preacher in this pulpit tell you that Jesus is telling you to vote for this person, don't even pause. Just get up and leave. And then go ask the state to take away our nonprofit status. Please. Having said that, for a Hebrew person, the notion that you can have personal piety and public communal life as two separate things in any way is absurd. It's not even a frame of reality. It's not, it's not, the concept is fruit, frivolous. It's, it's foolish because there's no way that you can have, I have my personal piety, but I wouldn't let it bleed over into my public life. That's insanity. And the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures are chocked full of the fact that your faithfulness to God is something that's lived in the street or it's not really faithful. There is no separation. We just had a prayer about learning from the prophets. And the biblical prophets is good for us to remember. They weren't future forecasters of what's coming down the road. We've put that stuff on. They are always talking about their current political situation, their current cultural situation. And they're using kind of code language because they're typically, in most of the books, the people who are being put down by the government. So they've got to be careful. But they're always talking about the current place. And how is it that we live faithfully in the public square? And Mark's gospel in particular is chocked full of this kind of intention. How do we live publicly? And Mark's gospel, which is 16 chapters, the 16th chapter, half of it's an add-on, 
the shortest, most efficient, the others are anywhere from 21 to 28 chapters. When Mark says something, you pay attention, because Mark's not throwing away lines or words. So, pull the sandwich back together. Back to the woman with the hemorrhage, because she is a very public, communal life image for the evangelist and for Jesus. Think about her situation here. She is inherently unclean because of this hemorrhage that she's had. She cannot go into the community because anybody who touches her becomes unclean and for eight days has to stay separate from everybody lest they become unclean. She is a woman who, it says, has gone and has suffered at the hands of many and she has lost all her income and she's worse off. What Mark's saying there is, folks, we live in a culture, one, where women are vulnerable simply because they're women, first of all. So glad that we've gotten over that today, right? But second of all, religiously we have ostracized her because of this reality of her body that she has no control. In fact, she spent 12 years, 12 a very important number for Hebrew folks, trying to get over it. She's done everything she knows. And in fact, the system has bled her dry of everything but her blood. And they would have heard that. She has suffered at the hands of our religious system, our public system, and she is worse off. And she's being told she's less than, she's not acceptable because of what we have constructed. She is out there. In fact... This posture of hers, to go into the crowd, remember the story, the crowd there, you know, who touched me? We don't know. You ever been in a crowd where it's... Her going into that crowd, bumping into everyone, anyone that touched her was unclean, including the rabbi Jesus. It is an audacious statement. So, but she is determined and she is tenacious, and she is tired of all the public square who has failed her, and she's heard something about Jesus, and she says, I don't even need to talk to the guy. If I just touch the garment. And so it happens, and Jesus feels something. He's saying, something just happened. Where is the person? And the disciples were going, Jesus, pay attention to the big crowds. It's a good day for us. Just don't worry about whatever happened. You know, how do you know? But she is there in fear and trembling because she knows she's done something that's illegal according to the religious law. It's horrific according to the public square because if everybody starts to realize what she's done, they're all going to be shouting, you know, if it's junior high, they're going to be calling cooties, right? And all the adults are going, oh, geez, what has she just done to us? How, how arrogant. So she's in fear the whole community is going to turn on her. Probably the rabbi too, because rabbis tend to do that. But instead he says, I need to know you. And there's at least two things going on here, for Jesus and for the woman. Jesus, he the one who says, well, who do people say I am? He's learning about who he is. And he's trying to figure out what just took place between you and I, because I'm trying to figure out the call of God myself. And so she becomes a place of revelation for him. And then it has that great line, she told him the whole story. Kind of like the woman at the well says, he told him everything about me, and this guy says, I'm beloved. 
She has broken numerous public laws, numerous religious laws, and Jesus says, I need you and you need me. And he restores her to herself because she would have probably gone away, gotten her healing, but thinking, what did I do to get it? And he says, you did exactly. Your act was faithful, driven by the Spirit. And he does it so that the whole public square sees. He restores her to herself. He restores her to the community, restores her to God, and says, anyone have any doubt that this woman is faithful, I'm going to tell you right now. And she is restored Not just healed, but restored. That's what Jesus is about. It's about physical connection. It's about restoration. Not just Jesus as some kind of, you know, curbside healer. But Jesus saying, today this community will be restored. All you who think that she somehow is less than. And the gospel writer is saying, not only is this about our personal piety, folks, it's looking at how do we live as a community and who are the people we have pushed out wrongly. And our job, Jesus is saying, is to bring about restoration of community of all people. The gospel is indeed every bit about our personal lives and our public lives. It's the message of God, and on this 4th of July lead-up, it's the message for every and any nation. I'm going to go to another place today that has everything to do about restoration and connection. I want to talk about the peace in the liturgy, in that part that comes right after we do the absolution and the minister announces We are all forgiven. God has forgiven us. And what I want to remind us, because we don't do a very good teaching about this in the church, that the peace isn't like some kind of religious seventh-inning stretch. You know, like, ah, we've been here a while. Let's get up. You know, hey, Donna, how you doing? David, yeah, you know, you know, that's not what it is. It's the church understanding that connection and touch is essential if we are going to know God, if we're going to know each other and ourselves. You guys got the sprinkling this morning, right? If anybody didn't get sprinkled, let me know. I tried to get everybody. But if you missed, we'll get some more water at the end. We will get you. And that's not just to be cute. It's the church saying, if we are going to remember that our basic definition of who he is is clean, and there is nothing the culture or the religion can say to challenge that, we're going to feel the water, the outward and visible that says, you're clean. When you leave here today, the news is going to try to tell you you're not. Your neighbors might try. You yourself might say, I'm not, uh, not me. That was everybody else there. No, you're getting hit with water today, not just Samuel. When we want to come somehow comprehend that we are one as Jesus is one with God, as God is one with Jesus, and all that John language, we take the bread and wine not just to be nice and do something. We do it because it changes us molecularly. Somehow we have become one with that bread and that wine in a sacred union. And so after the absolution, it's not just enough for us to stand there and say, you're forgiven. The church understands we need something outward and visible to understand that. We need to feel it physically. So Jeffrey, brother, do you mind standing up one moment? I know, I didn't ask you this. Would you just step up one moment? Peace. Peace. What's just happened when we held hands? 
our brains just went to a whole nother place. They did. Thank you for doing that. Love you too, man. Thank you. See, what just happened? And the church knows it's not enough just to say it, that we need to stand there and hold hands and look at it like a religious icon. And to say, my dear God, literally, this is what God has done in us. We are restored. And there is nothing that separates us from God, from each other. Right now, we are restored. And we look at our hands with awe and wonder. Something we'll pray, Sam, for you in a moment. And the peace isn't just for church. It's about our public life. Every news story that you watch should be judged by this gesture. Does it stand this test? Does it manifest the spirit of handshake in the peace? Why do we care about people at the border? Why do we care about people on death row? Why do we care about economic and racial equity? Because it has to pass this test. Because it's all finally about restoration. And the handshake of the peace is the foundation through which we judge all of our life. It's all about restoration and connection. It's about like the women and the man taking responsibility for our own healing. It's about the public life of faith communities and saying that we, as we will say in different words in the baptismal vow, we will work to cast aside everything that tells ourselves and others that we are somehow separate. We will renounce them. It's about living the life of God who stops in the crowd to find us and who stops in the crowd to restore us and who never stops until everything is restored.